Hey, thanks for joining us for our teaching time this morning as we continue this study of one small passage of Scripture. That this one verse that we've been focusing on now, this is our fourth week, that really is designed to change our mental process. Uh, there's a word in Scripture called sanctification, right? Where we are, we're in this concept that we are being changed from one thing into another. That's what that word sanctification means. It's no more than that, that you were something and you're being changed into something else. And one of the ways that we are sanctified into the ways of Christ as those that follow him is by changing the way we think. Christianity is not just a, a you know, declaration. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he raised from the dead and, you know, Great, I'm getting into heaven now. No, it's it's transformative. The teachings of Christ are transformative, and one of the ways that it transforms us is in how we think. And this is what this series is all about, of being fully saturated, of pouring these beautiful thoughts and concepts into our minds so they are just saturated, full of the right thought processes and right thought concepts so that when a thought comes into our head, it It gets dealt with in the right way. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to read this verse, introduce our topic for the day, and then uh, frame it in how it uh, is going to impact our our thinking today. So again, this is Romans 4, 8, and it says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. The list of eight things that the Apostle Paul gives us here to saturate our mind with. And we've talked over the last few weeks, like these aren't just like random ingredients that he throws out there. No, it's actually a pattern. These work together. They, They work with even how our mind works. Like, we, we talk about, right, this whole thought process that we go through. Like, where does a thought come from, right? It, typically, we've said it comes from these situational expectations. We're in, a, we're in some kind of situation where there's an expectation on us or some kind of sensory experience puts a thought into our head. And in one of our small groups a couple of weeks ago, Jamal brought, brought up the idea. It was like, you know, it's like we can't sometimes control our thoughts. And I feel like I am more than my thoughts. And we were like, yes, so true. Great truth. Jamal, we are much more than our thoughts. And sometimes we can't control what the thought is that comes in, right? What situation caused it to come in or what what experience causes a thought to come in, but we can control. And this is what this verse teaches. We can control what we do with that thought. And and we talked about how that thought then, we have to put it through a, a couple of measures and attach a companion to it of truth. Is it true? Put the measures of is it honorable on there? And we put it through those measures and with that companion. And if it passes those tests, then we say, you know what? I'll let it become a belief, something I believe in my life. Like maybe it's not even true, right? You know, get rid of that thought. Just put it out of your mind if it's not true. If it's not something that God has shown us as knowable and repeatable, and if it's not honorable, right, if it's not appropriate and reasonable to think about, there's no reason for it to get to a belief system either. But what do we do when thoughts get there, 
right? And this is where we're focusing over last week with Jared, who did a great job of talking about things that are just. And then this week, we're going to talk about how do we think on things that are pure. And this idea of being just and pure go together. Because what these are is where the where true and honorable were like a companion and a and a measure to to determine if this thought even moves into a belief, then this idea of just and pure are going to be the frame by which we decide if this belief is allowed to become a perspective in our life, a way that we view the world, our circumstances, others, ourselves, and God. So this this frame of is it just and is it pure? If it is, then we're going to put that belief up there and hang it on the wall of our mind. Let it be something that is beginning to act on, to move us toward intent. But if it's not, it's not worth going farther. And so last week, Jared talked about something that we must include in this frame, right? The inclusion of a just way of thinking. It's like an injection. We need to inject something that is just into our life. Like the vaccine, right? We need, we need something that's going to deal with, you know, this thought, this, this foreign body that's come into our mind. And is it going to, is it going to line up or not? Is it going to attack it or not? And, and where does this just way of thinking come from? And we, Jared did a great job of last week of building that frame that God is the only just justifier, right? And he walked us through why that was and, and that, that as a justifier, God wants repentance, not retribution. Like when his whole goal with us and then when how we frame things justly is not to, not to bring retribution in the world, but to bring repentance into from our life to his and from others and that. So that that's a just way of thinking. And and not that that I do that I, you know, have the right perspective in me, but I have to look for what's the way I've described this, the two words that I would describe uh, a just way of thinking is that is it is holy and it is healing. Right? It comes from a just source, a holy source, which is God and his character and his desire is repentance, is healing. And so if this thought, this belief, as we start dwelling on it more, if it's going to become a perspective in our life, one of the things we need to inject is to go, does this line up with the holy and healing standard of a just God? We need to inject that into our thought process. But today we're going to talk about purity, right? And purity is not an injection of something. It's actually a removal of something. And so uh, basically it's this. Purity would be, can be defined as the exclusion of what is impure. The, the word actually used uh, to be translated to pure here comes with a, a preposition on it. It's almost as if it's saying pure from. Paul is saying things that are pure from. And he, he's already telling us there are negative things that are naturally in our hearts and minds. And our thoughts need to be pure from those. A sense of removal, right? If if just is like an injection of medicine, an injection of a vaccine to deal with this 
this body that came in that we are, this thought that we came in with, then, then purity is the removal of a, of a, something negative, like a removal of a tumor, right? Uh, something that's negative and harmful that's, that is in our life already. And Paul deals with these. And the way I would define pure, if I was going to define it in a couple, in a basic sense, is it's pure thinking is filtered and refined. Filtered and refined. So it, it goes through that, those are two different processes, right? A filter goes through and it kind of gets out all the big pieces, the, the easy to spot pieces. You can run it through a filter, but refined means there's added heat or pressure to it that takes even out the deepest of impurities. And this is how Paul tells us to think, which I'm going to tell you is a hard way to think. Like I, I can tell you right now, I have many thoughts uh, that are impure, right? That are unfiltered and unrefined. Maybe they're filtered. Maybe I'll, I'll filter what I say, or even, you know what, I shouldn't be thinking that, but man, to go through the work of refining them, of, of boiling out or pressing out uh, the all the impurities, that's a tough, tough task. But what makes it easier is not all honest, right? Because what has been injected into our life, the just nature of God. And so our impure, our what needs to be filtered and refined, to me, shows up pretty easily and pretty quickly then. And there's a couple of passages, scriptures that we're going to focus on today about dealing with how do we, how do we filter and refine our thought patterns. And one is found earlier in Philippians, uh, in just a couple of chapters before Philippians 4, the passage we just looked at. And the other is found in the book of James, written by James and, and James is known as a book of wisdom in the New Testament. And it's amazing to me how these two verses line up, you know, whether it was James and Paul, you know, interacting with each other or just coming to some of the same conclusions. When they tell us how to operate in our life, there are some key things that show up that are very obvious. And what I want us to do today is read these two passages and then talk about how do we identify these impurities in our life and how do we filter and purify them out. And so let's read. We're going to read Philippians 2, 3 through 4, and then go right into James 13 through uh, 14 through or 3, 14 through 16. So here's what they say. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but uh, of you, but to the interest of the others. And then James 3, 14 through 16 says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly in nature. He's saying jealousy and selfish ambition are earthly in nature. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. Now, did you catch the the things? One, one of them was repeated, right? The selfish ambition. Both Philippians and James say, steer clear of selfish ambition. And then Philippians always says, or says that we should also steer clear of vain conceit. And James throws in the idea of jealousy here as well. And so I, I think these are three 
factors according to scripture and the, the teachings that we have here of James and Paul that help us identify what needs to be extracted or excluded from our thought process when we are trying to turn a belief into a perspective in our thinking. And so I want us to look at today, how are we framing, are we actually framing our perspectives with selfish ambition, with jealousy, and with vain conceit? How do we identify those? And so I think when we look at these scriptures and the words here used to describe those, uh, there's going to be some ways that we can quickly identify whether we're framing our beliefs with selfish ambition, vain conceit, or jealousy. So let's jump in and see how do we identify selfish ambition in our life. I want to start with just saying like ambition itself is not a bad thing, right? Being ambitious, trying to accomplish something. No, we're, nothing wrong with that. Paul puts a qualifier here. James puts a qualifier on it. Selfish ambition. And the word ambition, even there with it, with this selfish word attached to it, uh, can also, and in some translations, it's translated as strife. That we're causing strife. Now, that's something maybe easier to understand or put our finger on our life than, than ambition because uh, I don't want to think, well, every time I want to accomplish something or do something or I'm working on something and somebody else is not working as hard as I am, like, am I just being selfish? No, it's like, am I causing in my growth, in trying to frame this thought and understand it better, am I doing so in a way that's birthing strife or birthing selfish ambition? And so I think this shows up in our life in a couple of ways. And I think well, number one is it shows up when we start to have a thought process that's controlling, controlling, right? We start to frame this thought so that I am the ultimate authority in the perspective that is forming, right? I may ask other people or I may, you know, oh, what do you think about this? I, you know, this happened in my life. Uh, somebody said something. What do you think? And really, I'm not looking for input. I'm just looking for agreement, right? That they're going to agree. I've already in my mind kind of said, I'm going to control how this thought goes. I'm going to ask certain people uh, to get validation. I'm not going to ask certain people so that it doesn't, they don't push back. And I start to control it. And I, I'm not talking about controlling others at this point, That like that you're controlling, you're become this controlling, manipulative person. But but selfish ambition, our strife shows up in our life when we try to control how we experience the thought or what expectations are going to be framed in our mind and we limit external input. We control the environment, right? We, we don't even let that injection of God's justice, God's justness come in and we try to control our thoughts, even though we may. And gosh, often we do. We know a Something that's brewing in our head may not be complete, may not be accurate, may not be true, but it's how I feel. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to guard it so nobody gets to kick the legs out from under it and tell me it's not true or it's not right. Or maybe you should think about a different perspective. I control what influences my thoughts and my beliefs. But the second way, way I think strife and ambition show up in our thought processes is when we become contrary, right? He even talks about that. We should be humble, putting the thoughts of others ahead of ourselves. And instead, we become contrary. And we start framing our thoughts from a negative starting point. 
right? This person is bad. This person is out to get me. What they said means actually more than I heard. What they did means more than what I really experienced. And why is contrary selfishness or strifeful? Is because it always puts my feelings and my understanding as the primary. Like I couldn't have misunderstood that. I couldn't have thought more into that than I did. Like, no, I'm, I'm trusting myself more. And this is selfish and it's strifeful. And so I'll, we, we've got to be careful because we can build a frame for our perspectives on ourselves, God, circumstances, and others that is based on strifeful, selfish ambition that is trying to control what influences our beliefs and thoughts so that we're framing our own perspective and it's always going to be contrary. Always starts from a negative point of view. If those are in your life, they're often in my life, those first thought patterns, we've got to filter them out. We've got to purify them. And we'll talk about how to do that in a moment. The second thing we need to learn to identify is this, is jealousy, right? James talks about jealousy and that the word jealousy there can also be kind of translated to rivalry. That we're in, we feel like we're in a rivalry. So we, when we start to frame our thoughts, we start thinking of it as like, getting ready to go play a, you know, basketball game or football game or a game online that we're, we're competing, right? And so here, that's the first way to identify this in your life is we have this competitive win, lose mentality on everything. We start framing our thoughts so that there's always, always a winner and a loser. It, if I see it from their perspective, then I've lost. If I see God's perspective here, I've lost. Then I, when I've lost, they have won. And I'm down on the count. I'm behind. Like, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not as wise as I thought I was. They're, they're more than me. Like, and we start having this competitive nature. And it's like we lose. We feel like we lose the upper hand in a situation. And like we're losing then control, Right? In this competitive nature, James talks about it when he's like, there is no wisdom in this, right? This kind of wisdom is earthly, natural. He calls it demonic. He's like, no, don't think in this competitive nature. Because when we do that, it's going to build up another way that we can identify this jealous framing in our mind. Because then it's going to kind of cause us to want to cheat, Right to start framing thoughts so that we'll always come out ahead. We we start to think about how I can use this to justify some action that I've really already been wanting to take, or create some narrative that I've been really wanting to already grow in my life. It's like this. It's like when we have this competitive, jealous thought process. It's like putting a wild card into your poker hand and making a hand. And honestly, the hand's not really there. It's not, the only reason that you have anything is because of that wild card. And, and the truth is so often, we have this jealous thought process of, it's, I, gotta, I gotta beat the other person, I'm competing against them, and so I'll do whatever to frame this thought process so that I'm the winner, is that we start making things up 
that aren't there. We think we got a winning hand, but it's really only that way because we cheated. How many times have we thought about ourselves this way? We made conclusions about ourselves that aren't out of complete knowledge, that isn't wisdom from above, it's earthly, demonic wisdom, right? How many times have we done this and how we think about other people or how we even think about God, we we take pieces and we throw in a wild card and say, oh, look, look. No, we can't do that. We can't frame our thoughts that way and come out pure. They've got to be filtered and refined. And so that's how we identify jealousy in our life. Am I competing all the time? Am I cheating all the time? Am I getting, you know, thoughts farther ahead than they ever should have been. And then there's the final way that he says that we can identify, a thing that we need to identify in our thought process before we move beliefs into perspectives, again, views that we're gonna have, that we're gonna start to build intent on. And he says that to identify vain conceit, to exclude it out, to remove vain conceit. And the easier word for that is pride, right? personal glory, self-focus, vain conceit, like, this is it. I'm, you know, thinking we're all stars of the Truman Show and the whole world is revolving around us every minute and the world is tuning in every night to see how our life goes. That's vain conceit. And he says that is destructive, right? You, You go back and he says, from there, there is this, James says, there is disorder and every evil thing shows up. Like it's not good. So how do we identify in this in our life? I think it starts by kind of going to that Truman Show movie mentality, right? That we have a singular focus. We start to frame these thoughts asking only one question. How is it going to impact me? How is this going to impact me? What will it help me or cost me if I build this certain perspective? I'm so focused on the one thing that you become blind to everything else around you. And they have a shot in a movie, you know, where the thing in the foreground is in focus and everything in the background is out of focus. You can do it on your iPhone. It's called portrait mode, right? Where your single object is in focus and everything else is blurred. That's exactly what this kind of thinking is. Like I only, there's only one focus in my life, a singular focus. And when that comes into our life, it leads us to the second part here is then we don't become just singular. We then become indifferent. The way that you see vain conceit show up in your life is that you start to feel indifferent toward other people. You start framing the thought now, not with just no, you basically start to frame it with no thought of anyone but yourself. But you also start to think about, you know, what if it damages somebody else? What if it brings harm into somebody else's life? You're kind of indifferent. Be like, oh, well, too bad, right? So let it be. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to harm them, but I'm just, look, I'm focusing on this beautiful singular thing. And if it affects anybody else in the background or brings harm or restricts blessings or pleasure into their life, so be it. Let them deal with it. And that indifference 
leads us to be so disconnected from other people, right? We, we, we literally cut off being able to see other people as individuals, as friends, as family members. We, we blur our view of God that he is loving and gracious toward us. We start to, to look at the, you know, blend into the circumstances around us and think that they're all about me and, and how this impacts me is the most important. And we become indifferent. And that's how vain conceit shows up in our life. Through this singularity portrait mode mindset that causes us to be indifferent to everyone and everything else. Now think about, think about how quickly we frame our beliefs into perspectives, into outlooks on life. I mean, it happens like that. Like how we view our circumstances, how we view the world, how we view others, how we view ourselves, how we view God. But if we don't slow down our thought process enough to evaluate our beliefs and say, first, let's inject God's just nature, his holiness and his healing. Is this belief going to bring, is it holy and is it going to bring healing? And then secondly, is it, is it actually, have I filtered it and refined it by removing selfish ambition, by removing vain conceit, by removing jealousy? Now, I would love to say just knowing what those things are is the best way to remove them. I will say this, it's the beginning, right? Like identifying what needs to be filtered out and refined out is the beginning. It's where we start to realize I, I'm letting my thoughts be framed by selfish ambition. I'm letting my beliefs be driven by jealousy or vain conceit. And I, I think we have to take time to slow down and allow us to evaluate what those are. But then how do we get rid of them? This goes back to one of the things Jared brought up in his conclusion last week, and it's really the power behind both of these injection and removal part of our thought process as our beliefs move to perspective. And it is only done by, by acknowledgement and a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when we became followers of Christ, those of us who are followers of Christ, I think too often we're taught that uh, when, when we surrender or give our life to God, become born again, all of those things, like all we're doing is we start to play for a different team, right? Like I was playing paying, uh, playing for the, the bad team and now I'm playing for the good team. And so now I just have to struggle with and deal with all this stuff on the good team because they're having good, they're, we're going to have a good outcome in the end. Like when I get to heaven, great, everything's good. And, and we, we kind of go through this life and we, we struggle through even how we deal with our thoughts and our beliefs and our perspectives and our content, our intent and go, I'll get them next time, next inning. We'll get them next time, guys, right? Or we lost this one. We're going to win the series, you know, cause 
We've got God coming in as the closer. Jesus is going to come in as the closer, and we're all going to win. He's going to hit the game-winning shot, and we're good. And we've just got to survive till then. That is not what the Christian life is about at all. We, it, it, it teaches this, that when we surrender our lives to Christ, we immediately receive a gift, and it is the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us. It's immediate. That is that is the conversion process. It's not that I just am playing for somebody different. It is that I am different. My inner thinking, my, my desires, my hopes, my dreams are being transformed, sanctified. Remember, moving from one thing to another. And this is how we deal with the removal of these issues. Right. I dare say, and maybe you're a trained doctor and you could do this. I'm not. If I found out that I had a tumor in my life, in my, in my body somewhere, I am going to go find somebody who knows it, understands it, and is trained at the removal of it and submit my life to them and their work. This is the same way that we do this. We acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. It is a gift from God through Christ that was bestowed upon us through the work of Christ, that we get to have the indwelling spirit of God in us, that when we recognize these selfish ambitions, these jealousies, and these vain conceits, we can say, Holy Spirit, do your work. Do your work. By allowing him to come in and take care of those issues. It's not magic. It's actually known. It's knowable and repeatable. It's true that we are physical, spiritual. God deals with us physically and spiritually because he has both made himself known to us physically and spiritually. And he is willing to do the spiritual workout with us to remove these things. We've got to acknowledge that they're there, identify that they're there, acknowledge that the spirit can do the work, and then get in that operating room and let the spirit remove them. Trust. Trust that God is and will be at work in your life. So my question for you today is simply this. What perspectives in your life have made it through without being filtered or refined? You haven't asked the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God to to filter and refine, to remove these things. Where, How are you living? What's your view of God that is unfiltered and unrefined? What's your view of others that is unfiltered and unrefined? What is your view of your circumstances that is unfiltered and unrefined? And then what is your view of yourself that has gone unfiltered and unrefined through the Spirit of God with the removal selfish ambition, jealousy, and vain conceit. This is one of those topics that you might be interested in talking more about, and I always am available to talk one-on-one with those that are interested. My email's on the screen, and you can uh, send me an email, and I'll set up a time to talk with you in person or Zoom or uh, over the phone, whatever is more convenient for you. But another way that we talk about this is Right now, if you happen to be watching this on Facebook Live, uh, we have a group that meets immediately after this. 
uh, there'll be a link in the chat uh, that gives you the link for the Zoom that you can click on and go straight to there. If you can't access the chat comments, you can go to new-citychurch.com slash Zoom, and the link is there as well. And we, uh, we meet for about 45 minutes and would love to have you join us for a conversation about today's teaching. Uh, maybe you can't meet today or you're watching this later in the week. We have groups that meet on Tuesday and a women's group that meets on Wednesday. That You can go to our website and find more information about as well. But I encourage you, talk about this and nothing else. Talk about it with God. Say, God, I need, I need an injection of your justness, your holiness and healing into my thought process. And I need to take my own heart and soul and mind and have it be filtered and refined so that the perspectives that I'm living with can be accurate and appropriate. Let's pray together and then we'll be done for today. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you're so clear and obvious about what needs to be done and how our thoughts are being transformed. And God, as we trust you, as we try to identify these elements in our life that need to be refined and, and, and God, filtered out of our life. Uh, God, help us to trust you, to, to trust that your spirit is there and to trust that your spirit can do the work of bringing hope, healing, and holiness into our life. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.